This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. If you're starting a business because you think the lifestyle is going to be good, it's just the wrong, you, you, your head is completely, you, it's not the right motivation. So I'm a lifestyle-driven person, but that wasn't why I started business. I, bought, I started business because I wanted, I was passionate about what I was selling, which is coffee and breakfast, lunch. Really passionate about people and hospitality. I love welcoming people and creating great environments. So you have to make sure that the, the, mo- the motives are right. So as I said before, like I cleaned the toilets for two years um, every day, or maybe not two years, but like a year at least, you know, because I couldn't afford to have staff help me close. Like that's, you know, two hours of closing time to clean. I couldn't afford that. Um, so ask yourself, will you do that? Will you clean your toilets if you open a cafe? Julia Moosey, welcome to the podcast, brother. Thank you. Thanks um, for having me. So I, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about you know the businesses you run. Um, I apologise for Noah in the <laughs> background, guys. He's running amok. It's but, very cute, at least. Um, I'll let you introduce your, your, your businesses and tell everyone a little bit about what you do, and then and then we can go from there. Yeah, cool. So um, only hospitality group and Inglewood Coffee Roasters are our businesses. Um, uh, opened up our first store, our first cafe, um, been breakfast, lunch and coffee focused, um, opened in 2012. Um, but we, oh, before that though, I was, um, I started in coffee carts and so just saved enough money from there to open my first store. And since that opened, um, about 26, 27 stores as well as a roastery, um, and sold, probably sold about nine or 10 off, but we're holders now and trying to just grow the portfolio, um, and uh, yeah, that's sort of so. We've grown, we've got about three hundred staff now, um, and just trying to yeah, just trying to grow the business as quickly and as smartly as possible. Not obviously taking on risk; you have to take on risk to grow. But um, just trying to be ca- as calculated and um, and careful as possible. Yep. Yeah, I think. I mean, you you breeze through that pretty quickly, right? But I think you know, um, twenty seven stores. You know, across how many years? Um, what would be uh, nine years now? Yeah. Nine years, yeah. yeah. But a lot, a, 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 there'd be probably um, 12 in the last sort of, um, you know, 12 to 18 months so during COVID. We had a, um, we had some luck that go, go away during COVID, all like in a difficult time. Some obviously hurt, but um, I, I, I feel, I've read something really early saying, you know, never, never waste a good crisis. Um, so um, that's sort of what I really try to, it really stuck in my mind. I'd really want to tr- take the opportunity to, to get ahead when people were, scared and staying still it's the best time to start a business yep. you know like you, you know like when the chips are down and, and especially like you know economics 101 right you know that during a recession and these kind of things if yep. you can get a business and you can just hold the fort for during those tough times that yep. you're going to probably have some good years ahead and and definitely. you know be able to get on the back of of that economic growth so definitely that's something we did as well you know like we started to look at well, what are the opportunities now you know and yep. And, you know, I think this is also like, and, and we're probably going to talk about this later, but why cash flow is so important because yep. when, when those chips are down, can you take those opportunities? Exactly. You yeah. need capital to do so. Yeah. But yeah, so, so you know, um, 27 stores and, and something that I think is, is pretty impressive is the fact that, that, that it's not like we're talking about a franchise here. They're, they're different individual brands underneath, obviously, the only yeah. the only umbrella brand and, yep. and so on. Um and I think I think that's impressive, but I think it also talks to the fact that there's probably a method to the madness. Yeah, if that makes sense. So yeah, the new br- the, the the separate brands I think was important because of the you know coffee, um, you know there's a bit of a um, a wanky perception or the, you know there's I think the people in in Melbourne particularly like to support that independent the independent brand, um, you know chains like for example Starbucks didn't go well in. In, in Melbourne or mm. um, in Australia really as a whole compared to the, the rest of the world. And it's just because we've got a, a really sophisticated coffee drinker um, and breakfast, lunch. We've got, I think, you know, done a bit of travel and, and um, Melbourne's the best cafes in the world, no, hands down, best coffee. Um, we do it the best, definitely, um, which comes with, um, you know, some, some advantages and some, you know, it's, it also makes things hard from a, a hospitality operator. But, um, yeah, the independent brand, um, sort of tactic was really important to our growth. It's very interesting, right? Like I, I remember traveling to New York, and the only the only cafe I would actually stop at were the Aussie cafes. That's it, <laughs> just yeah, because the coffee course. it's it's the only coffee you can it's drink trusted. over there. Yeah, you um, can trust yeah. food as well. Um, 
but what I, I think we, we move to now is I'd love to hear a little bit about how it all started, you know, and, and what was kind of the, the starting point. Yeah, so um, I, uh, I started, I was a personal trainer, um, sort of um, Monday to Friday. I'd worked a little bit in cafes. Um, in Canberra and also for my old man in his restaurant. I learned how to make coffee at my dad's restaurant when I was like 17. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went to Canberra for a year and worked in a cafe and I started really liking working hospitality there a little bit. And then um, I was doing, I did my PT course. I was starting business at uni, but I dropped out. I was just not, just wasn't, wasn't very academic, couldn't sit still. So um, dropped out of uni, did my PT course, did personal training during the week. And then on weekends, I, um, I did my knee playing. Um, I don't like talking about football because I always get people always give me shit about bringing this story up. <laughs> but um, uh, I was playing footy um, and did my knee. And I asked uh, my year out. I asked the general manager Andrew Perch at Box Hill if I could make coffees at the footy ground and at uh, Box Hill City Oval, and that went really well. Um, and then from there, I ended up doing little athletics complexes, boat shows, EFL footy grounds, um, junior finals, and. Went really well. So I'd be playing footy after my knee, after I recovered, recovered my knee, I'd, I'd be playing footy at East Ringwood and um, had people making coffee on the, on the, on the side <laughs> as well. So got a little pooch next to me. Um, and, uh, and that went really well. Saved some coin, about 30 or 40 grand, small amount of money to open a cafe but, um, back then. Oh, sorry, back then. Now it's not, not possible. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and then uh, that's sort of, that's sort of how, how it got going. So PT during the week coffee carts on weekends and then moved into the cafes. How did you go at the, at the beginning? You know, I mean, obviously looking back now and seeing how far it's all come, yeah. at the time I'm sure it wouldn't have always been that way, right? It would have been, you know, it would have, you would have had to deal with different people. Definitely. You know, and, and coffee carts, right? It's like there, there would have been, an, uh, and obviously coming off, off an injury, right? Like a, a different identity crisis. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, you know, I was selling candy to kids. Like I was, I was literally was. Like so the canteen rights at, little, at Duncan McKinnon. And, um, you know, I'm selling, uh, I'm selling, you know, literally snakes to, um, this, this Ch- chuck him on the floor, chuck him on the floor, chuck him on the floor. Come on, buddy, off you go, he's nibbling on my, my jeans. Just chuck him um, on the floor. Anyway, so, um, I, uh, I was literally selling like snakes and muffins, confectionery to, to kids at the, at the canteen after their 100 metre sprint, you know, so, um, but I, I know it's, it's pretty wild, you know, if you think of it like on the surface, but I learned really good fundamentals. I had a cost price and I had a retail price you know i figured out my margins my profitability overheads and um really the fundamentals of that was is the ba- is really the basis and the and the and the foundation of where we are today nothing's really changed um obviously there's a um there's a bit of a different scale but um and we've got some more overheads now but it literally is the same it's very simple very simple maths from the back end and as, as long as you're um reviewing those numbers frequently weekly we do um then you know it puts you in really good in a really good position to make um, moves quickly and decisions decisions quickly. Yeah, it's. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, and and you know, just talking about how simple you can really see business when you start looking at it through the lens of numbers yep. and understanding the different kind of core metrics that you track. You know, like so, you know, what's um, obviously looking at things such as marketing spend, cost of acquisition. Yep. Um, and then I, I would imagine it's a little bit different in hospitality, but you know, um, uh, but just understanding your numbers, profitability, gross margins, these yep. kind of things, uh, and and then I'm sure that's what has factored into your your method, you definitely, know, and, and why you've been able to scale really quickly. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's um, bleeds can happen very quickly in hospitality venues. You know, um, labour is obviously the biggest overhead, and um, you know, we always talk to the staff about making sure that people are signing off. You know. Within the fifteen, within a fifteen-minute period of their set sign-offs, and fifteen minutes um, over sixteen or so venues at the moment, um, if it's every day, can be really, really costly if you look at it on an annual basis. So, just you know, making sure that you empower the staff and and let them understand what the annual cost would be if they slip that fifteen minutes every day. Um, that's the, those sort of um, disciplines are really important to growth, and 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 it really comes down to empowering staff with knowledge and um, making sure they understand it. Because if they don't understand it, and that there's no buy-in from them then that's where bleeds can happen. And, and same goes with wastage and people thinking they can have, you know, go to the pantry kind of thing and take something that's sort of, you know, that's been paid for, you know, really aren't making sure there's no entitlement in the venues is, has been something that our culture has been, uh, has really focused on since the day one. There's no sense of entitlement. People understand that things cost money and um, the ones that really buy into that, that culture are the ones that have really progressed really quickly in our business. 
how do you how do you deal with that dichotomy, right? Of 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 being a leader that is empowering someone versus obviously setting the rules and 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 managing performance. Because I know that's something that I I've had a conversation with, but even something growing a business, it's you know knowing that line, right? Yeah. Where too hard is is too much, and and your, your staff don't want to work for you, and and these kind of things compared to you know being a great leader and and, yep. and driving that culture. Yeah, I suppose, like, um, I think being really um, comfortable in your own skin and, and backing yourself in, like, and, and also doing things that you say. So I never ask staff to do anything that I wouldn't, ha- wouldn't do or haven't done. Mm-hmm. I'm really big on that. For example, cleaning toilets and things like that. I used to clean the toilets every day for, for, for a year or two in my first couple of venues. I couldn't afford to have staff stay back and help me clean. So I know I've done that. And so if you have a staff member on their first day um, half and puff about cleaning the toilets, then you know they're not the right person for you. And that happens. You know, we have those young staff that think that they're above cleaning toilets. And um, that's, to us, is a real culture, I think, for us. You know, we've got everyone, nothing is below, um, is below us. And mm-hmm. um, so, and you know, the, in terms of like you know, the, hard, the hard line and, and balancing it, you know, well, I, I think there's a really big, um, there's a really big difference between being friendly with people and being friends with people and staff. And don't get me wrong, I'm great friends with a lot of our staff, like, you know, the ones that I know really well. But um, I, um, I make sure that everything, there's, everything's respectful, of course, always. But you, everyone understands that you've got a job to do. And um, I, think, um, I think if you show that passion, that care, ultimately people understand that, um, that you're trying to do the right thing by, for everyone. And, and that's to help to um, you know, create opportunities. And, and to create opportunities, you need to have discipline. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is such an interesting dichotomy, but I really like what you said there around um, filling your own space and and developing yourself, and yep. I think that's a part of it, you know. And I think that comes with that experience that you do get from from obviously having skin in the game, right? So you've yep. obviously done a lot of those things, but I think it also talks to probably one of the hardest things in in business and um, is is hiring, and and more importantly, like you know, losing staff and and yeah. so on, or hiring the wrong person. It's probably the biggest cost, right? Of course. It's um. So I think it, it definitely talks to that as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, hiring the, uh, the wrong person can be very costly, and you know, uh, when when there was cash around, um, you know, you got, there's things like theft and all that. You've got to be careful of, and um, you know, making sure you're a realist and understand that people, you know, when tempted, the, a certain person might steal and. You know, so you've got to, there's all those sort of elements as well. So you've got to be really careful. And But, you know, thankfully, more people are good rather than bad. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, you also got to try to make sure that you don't fight what, um, you know, I heard Les Sherrado in, in a podcast recently saying, um, the, the head of Victoria Coffee, he said, um, don't fight what people, what, what God left behind for the person. Like, you know, there's innate, there's innate qualities and innate abilities in people. And if they don't, if they don't have it as a person, don't fight it. Like, it is what it is. And, mm. um, you know, so you've got to sort of, you've got to try to identify the person really quickly so that you don't waste your time um, and, and waste other people's time. Do you think that's a factor that has probably played into your ability to do as well as what you have in terms of, obviously... 27 locations is is a lot, right? Do you think that that's something that can be overlooked often in in business, but you know more so hospitality as well? Do you mean as in um, you know being Picking, able to identify the identify right that right person? Yeah, I think I'm a good judge of character, um, and I think that sometimes I get trapped into getting seduced by people and people's personalities. I think everyone's guilty of that, mm. but sometimes you need to sort of. Um, you need to nearly go through that one minute or two minutes of awkward conversation or fierce conversation, be like, you know. Stuff it. I've got to do. I've got to have this conversation. Just call it out. This is. I'm calling bullshit here. You know, this person. You know, because people can really piss on your back and tell you it's raining, and you can get sucked into believing it. And you've got those people who tell you what you want to hear, and sometimes you get trapped into just going down that cycle. You know, that you keep just going out. It's like, hang on a minute. I've got to snap out. This is absolute crap. That's not. That's not what's happening. I know that they are talking shit. And um, but I don't know, but, and then you, you have to build the courage up to say, nah. Yeah. That you, you know, you're that. This is not like this is not true. Stop telling what I want to hear. Um, I want to know the truth. I want to know improvement areas. I don't want to know that everything's perfect every day because it's just not possible. So those sort of conversations I have a bit, but it's, again, I have to remind myself that snap out of it. This is you're getting sucked in. So I think how you deal with that situation as well, right? Like I think that's also what makes a great leader. Yep. You know, I can I can look back at times where I've probably haven't dealt with situations the best, and then sometimes where, yeah. where I have, right? And I yep. think that's probably something that. Um, having the courage to call it out and then yep. knowing knowing the process of actually calling it out and yeah because because you don't want to you don't want to uh 
you know, you don't want to put that person down, right? But, no, but you, you want to get the best out of the situation and, and understanding how to manage that situation sometimes can be really difficult. Definitely. And I think a lot of it comes down to trust. You know, obviously trust is an earned right, not a given right. And I think once the other per- once the staff member feels that they they have your trust, mm. sometimes they can feel that they, they can be honest and say that, you know, these is what's happening and this is the truth, but they're comfortable in their own skin to say, look, I want to improve it. Um, and not have that anxious sort of feeling that have to tell me what I want to hear, mm. but tell me what's happening so we can fix it together. And I th- so I definitely take responsibility. That you've got to reflect inward on those sort of situations as well and say, well, maybe I'm the reason why they're not telling me the truth because there's, there, there might be a bit of, um, you know, intimidation. Or I truly try not to be intimidated, but as you know, like even in the sporting arena, like when you, you play footy and stuff, like with coaches, you used to get something, always the coach, even if you got along them well, I used to always feel a bit uncomfortable around them. Mm. You know, and I look back now, I'm like, oh my God, you idiot. Like, it wasn't, you know, just be yourself kind of thing, but it's human nature. It always takes that, you know, there needs to be a level of comfort, I think, so for people to express themselves honestly. So that's something that's something I've got to acknowledge as well and and work on that so that people will give me the, the, um, you know, accurate info. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it it kind of talks to the, the need for a good culture as well, right? Because that culture where you can communicate and you feel okay. You know, saying I made a mistake, I I did this. I think yep. that's that's something that is is obviously really really important. Definitely, yeah. Culture is number one. Like you can't succeed without a great culture. I reckon. Well, you can su- succeed to a point, but the, the the ultimately the culture will decide how far things can go and how how much efficiency and productivity you can get out of the team, and and obviously have fun together. You know? What what do you do to build culture then? Like, what are some of the things that you do within the team? Because you obviously have. You know, I would imagine scaling culture is difficult, right? Like yep. at, at the level of, I think you said what, three hundred staff? Yeah, approximately three hundred. So, so scaling, how do you know what? Like, how do you view culture, and what are some of the things that you implement? Um, I suppose um, making sure that I'm seen to be doing the right thing and um, and uh, working really hard is obviously a really important one because you can't just be seen to be. I don't reckon you know kicking back and doing things against what you're trying to promote. Mm. Um, but investing in relationships, obviously, I, I could be better. Like sometimes I walk into a room. And I'm in the zone and I don't acknowledge people how I should. And it's, that's not what I'm about. And I used to be really, really great. At, I, I still think I am, but I, I, I go through these bad stages where I walk in a room on my phone or I'm in the zone and I don't even say hi to people. And it's really bad. And I know that's really bad for culture. But at the very start, I knew that I used to always make sure I knew everyone's name. It's hard to know everyone's, name, everyone's names now, to be honest. Um, you know, and I feel down about that sometimes, but it's just a reality. And if I keep thinking that I'm not going to know everyone's name all the time, it's probably just going to give me too much anxiety. So, um, but try my hardest to invest in, in relationships and build rapport. It's really important. And like, I, you know, I play tennis with, I play tennis with the staff, you know, on, on week, week nights sometimes. I, I, um, I uh, catch up with staff for coffees or um, have, have a, you know, spontaneous beer with them or mm-hmm. I'll go up, go up to them and ask them about their families, whatever it is. But I really try to do spontaneous random things with the staff that people go, oh, that's, uh, you know, like I have a skate. I, I skated with one of the staff recently and bought a skateboard. Like just do little things like that. People go, what the hell? Like you do that or you're, do, you know, which might surprise people, but I'm just a, I'm just a normal knockabout bloke that I like building relationships and having friendships. So I think making sure that you're not, again, not above anything or not below anything, like just trying to get on a level with everyone. And look, we have staff parties um, twice a year where we spend a significant amount of money on, you know, staff entertainment and having fun. So things like that all matter. I think making sure that staff know that you want to be around them is Mm. really important. I think, I mean, like, I don't know, like I kind of looking at it from an outsider's perspective, but I I would imagine you have great management in place as well, which allows you to do those things, if that makes sense. We've got a great team, yeah, absolutely. I I can't take all the credit. I've got, we've got a fantastic team, you know, um, from our COOs, um, front of house, back of house, um, our CFO, uh, my wife, Christy Lee, um, who heads up all our projects, um, so all our venue managers, like it, it, it goes, it just keeps going and going. We've got an amazing, amazing crew. You know, people like, you know, it's it's really it, look. It's hospitality. No industry is easy. You know, let's face it. And, and human resource is obviously the hardest, mm. the hardest thing in any business. Mm. Um, and many hands make light work. And if you've got everyone galvanised and working on the same path and in the same direction, it it, it seems to make life easier. Mm. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I would imagine that just as you scale your ability to create that culture and, and I've, you know, I've been lucky enough to speak to like, you know, oh, we, we had a chat to Al Roseby from, from Country Road yeah, and, right. and she, oh, was, I did say that, yes. she was very much very similar, right? Yeah. Like, you know, 
as you scale, your role starts to change a bit. Of course. And having that management in place is, is really important. The people, that support network for you as a leader that yeah. allows you to go and do those those kind of um, the, the leadership skills and, and so And on. empowering empowering people and, you know, we um, we made a decision to ban perfection in the workplace and it's pretty bizarre but I heard, uh, I think it was the old Bunnings CEO said that, you know, perfectionists um, stunt growth mm. and, um, you know, they focus on these little finer details but they're missing the big picture and... Um, you have to make mistakes to get better. You have you can't have a perfect environment. You just can't. Now you have to have a good culture to be able to say, "Oh, let's ban perfection," because then people can take the piss and take shortcuts, and then before you know it, people are starting to use it as an excuse for poor performance. So you need to have a great culture. But banning perfection is something that we really started. That was the mentality we took on about five years ago. Um, I'm not afraid to say that. So you did it before Richmond. Hey, is that what they said? Did they? <laughs> no, well, I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Richmond guy, and, and they, they attribute a lot of their success. You know, I don't know if you've heard him speak, but Ben Crow. I've heard of this bloke. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't listened, but I've heard there's someone who's yeah, vulnerability, imperfection yeah. type thing. Yeah, like right, allowing okay. people to do what they do really well because they're not afraid to 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 make mistakes. That, that's it. Like. You, I just think that um, if you have this uptight culture where people are shitting themselves and making a mistake, it just it's gonna it's gonna be it, people aren't gonna be at the optimum level, mm. you know, at their best. So um, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. Um, I make so many mistakes. I'm I've got so many weaknesses that and uh, some bizarre weaknesses where I really should be better at things, but you can't win at all. Like I I know I've got, I've got strengths. So I try and you try to focus on, focus on people's strengths. Like focusing on a star, some staff are terribly terrible administratively. And they're fantastic in operations, you know. And then you've got the complete flip side. Um, <laughs> so you just sort of let people flourish, in, you know, and focus on, on, on strengths, you know. And uh, as I said, banning perfection is really, really important to, I think, growing, growing businesses mm. and growing in any environment. 100%. Um, so, uh, like, back in the early days then, right, what, what were some of the, I guess, the strategies that, that you maybe did that you've you seen other people weren't maybe capitalising on or, or just some strategies in general that you, you kind of look at and go, yeah, like that, that really helped us accelerate what we're doing? Um, a couple of things. So I think, um, look, we review our numbers every week. I think hospitality businesses are very guilty of being poorly run um, and, and not valuing the dollar enough and making decisions based on image and perception than pure fundamentals of business and mm. I, I refer, refer to it as irresponsible business and that's why you get people underpaying staff and you get people not paying the tax man it's because they make silly decisions for ego as opposed to just being a, a good strong fundamental business person mm. um, you've got responsibility so we review things weekly we have um, we have numbers um, and targets that we have to reach in every venue every week and we we, um, we get those numbers we've got three staff we've got three analysts full time staff in the Philippines mm. who help with our data um, you know, because it's quite a tedious job, and that's why we, we sort of have them offshore. But they're still part of the office; they're in the office virtually on screens every day, um, which has been really great for us. Um, so we've obviously got about four guys in finance on on um, in our office, and then three in Philippines. Um, and um, so doing those reviews have been fantastic. So that's people don't do that sort of stuff mm. in hospitality. That's why we've I reckon we've grown quicker than and and, my, and predominantly felt self funded most of it, um, or business funded. Um, from cash flow, and uh, the other one was um, so. So just, just uh, so that that was like, is that seven staff purely on the financials? Yes, about seven staff purely yeah, on amazing. financials. Yeah, it's so important. Well, it's the number yeah. like it's you don't have a if you don't have uh, cash flow and you don't have profitability, then you can't. There's no no, no room to to grow, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and you and and you know, I mean, it emphasizes that you you said self funded or business funded. Yes. So yeah, that's right. So most of our growth has become has has come from. Um, uh, business cash flow. Um, some, um, see you, buddy. Off you go. Keep nibbling <laughs> in my jeans. Um, some definitely is lending, of course. Um, yeah. The other one is like, don't you don't ask, you don't get. So always being, always ask the question of things. Whether it's um, whether you want to learn something um, new or like you don't know the answer, to something ask. And some people don't ask these questions. It might be something to do with construction or whatever, and you might look silly for asking the question. But that's what with the environment we want. When people are asking though, being empowered with knowledge. So a culture like that, I think having that culture is really important. Is really has been really important for our growth, mm. um, and building great relationships and networks. As I said, like some of our, fun, our our growth has come from funding. Don't get me wrong. So um, you know, making sure you have a strong network to allow um, to have those people in the background who can help you, you know, raise capital and and um, and, uh, and and keep growing is really important. Stuff like that's helped us 
beat competitors, I suppose, to, to more more sites and better sites. Yeah, I mean, the network one is, I reckon that's the game. You know, yeah. fundamentally, like, as a, just as an individual, you know, your yeah. network really dictates what the opportunities you get, the, the opportunities you hear about. For sure. Um, it helps you develop as an individual, you know. If you're not surrounding yourself with leaders, you, yeah. you're probably going to, you're probably, you know, you, you're going to struggle to understand what leadership traits that you, you need and, and so on. Definitely. And so many people are guilty of just staying in their bubble. Like, I've got friends who, um, you know, I went to St. Kevin's um, and, you know, this private school mentality where people just stay in their network and they don't get out of their bubble. And I just, I'm not that person. And so, like, for example, I went to Canberra when I was 19 and lived there for a year. I met some of, I've got two of my best, my closest friends I met in Canberra who I see every day now. Um, they're country boys from Yarram. I've got, you know, like, um, I, I love putting myself out there. Um, and then, you know, I played footy at Ringwood. I didn't go to just the St. Kevin's old boys play footy. I, I just, I got out of my bubble. And I, from that, I've learned, I've, I've learned to know, um, I've met so many great people, um, you know, and people to, that um, keep your feet in the ground. They don't tell you what you want to hear. Mm. You know, the two blokes I met in, um, in Canberra, the Underwood brothers, they're like the Bash brothers, and they really <laughs> taught me how to, they, they, they really, um, you know, opened my eyes to, they're, they're, a bit, they're a little bit older than me, I'm um, not a lot older, but a little bit older, enough to, 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 to sort of um, knock me across the head if I was being an idiot kind of thing. And, um, and I feel like having those relationships in my life have really, um, you know, helped me network you know, get out of my comfort zone, not being sort of like insular and only thinking about, you know, staying in my bubble, like putting mm. yourself out there, get being in uncomfortable environments. That's how you're going to ultimately learn new, learn new things and meet new people. So, yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely... I think, you know, I mean, myself coming from the fitness industry, it's very easy to get caught up in, in those kind of bubbles as well. Yeah. You know, like I'm sure for yourself, like you probably learn a lot from people that aren't in the hospitality industry as yeah. well as obviously people that are. You know, so that's definitely something that I can attribute to to my growth is something that is like, okay, well, there's a bigger world out there and, yeah. and only once you start to see what that world can give and, and you know, the, what people are doing and these kind of things, you know, can you can you start to potentially grow and, and start to develop to those levels. Definitely. So, um, I'm interested. So I, I was reading and, and I seen that um, initially <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's running amok at the moment, nah, he's old on. Noah. He's all right. um, so I, I think it was maybe your first cafe that you, you the way you got into that cafe. <laughs> nah, Noah, right. get he's out. Right, he's right. The, the way you, the, the kind of way that you got into that cafe was um, – like you didn't buy in, you you kind of went in and and um, yeah, that was the second one, my other second brother. one. Okay, yeah, my, my other brother. brother yeah. yeah, so because I'm interested, I, I feel like you know you're pretty good at at seeing opportunities arise, um, yeah. and 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 so on. So I'm interested to kind of hear a little bit about that, yeah. Um, but also um, how you see opportunities and and kind of how you're viewing potentially right now yep. markets and, and opportunities that are out there. Yeah, I thought, so that's another one. I suppose find, seeing, opp seeing opportunities where others won't is obviously something that's really helped us as well. So with my other brother, I, yeah, I knocked on the door. I heard this cafe in Camberwell was um, was struggling and I um, I lived around the corner. I grew up around the corner, so I knew the site really well, but it was a very poorly run venue. So I um, I knocked on the door on a Friday night and offered you know a 70-year-old bloke and a you know 50-year-old, he's had a partner, um, I offered to help them. You know, and um, they had a 750 grand debt. They bought the business for two million bucks, and they had a 750 grand debt um, on the business, but it was losing money every week. It was it was probably losing 150 to 200 grand a year. And um, so I knocked the door, and they, I said, "Let me help you." So they then, long story short, they gave um, they gave me 50 percent for um, to take on half the li half the liability of the debt. So I was mm -hmm. 20. I was 24, and so I signed on the debt. So 750, half 750, what's that, 375, is it? Is that right? 375, yeah. sounds right. Anyway, um, yeah, 375. So I signed <laughs> over half the debt, and, um, and, uh, and my way I looked at it was, I'm 24 years old, the bank's not going to give me 375 of commercial debt at 24 with my first business only started a year ago. So mm. I signed on. So I took over the business that was doing like, you know, um, like 12 grand a week revenue, but losing a significant amount of money. Mm. And that business, I own 100% of it now. I bought those partners out about probably three years in. So I've had it or four years in. Um, and, and they would have been happy. 
I made them a fortune. Yeah, they were losing. They yeah. were losing. Uh, they were losing so much money. They were so stressed. They were literally had to close the doors and 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 liquidate it. So, like, I made them a lot of money, and I and they kicked back and did nothing. I did everything. And like, look, I, I love them. They're great guys. I still speak, still speak to them. Um, uh, and you know, Bob's you know, bless him, he's nearly eighty now, and um, he's an absolute pain in my ass. Like, he's like my second. He's like a second dad, and. Um, <laughs> And, and he'll always tell. He always feel like he's been he's been stitched up. Some you know, like he's yeah. one of those blokes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he's he knows deep down how much I um how hard I worked for for him and um and how much I turned the business around. And I turned it around from losing 150 200 grand a year to profiting you know 700 grand a year. So it was um very quickly like it, it's um and we've kept that to to this day. It's one of the um the anchors sort of of our portfolio. So. Um, but yeah, so that was a real knock on, you know, knock on the door, you know, um, and putting myself out there to, to find that opportunity and took some risk clearly um, and took a risk that others wouldn't, you know. So that's sort of how you progress. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of an amazing story. Um, what were some of the mistakes that they were making, right? That like fundamentally, so, so you know, what were, they, what were some of the mistakes that you've seen you went in and, and potentially, I mean, obviously you, you knew they were struggling, but once you got in there, yeah. what were some of the mistakes they were making? Oh, it was filthy for starters. Had cockroaches everywhere. <laughs> That's not going to really help you win business, <laughs> I don't reckon. So um, oh, it was poorly branded. You know, it was, for example, it was yellow and blue, old, really, like, you know, um, word, font, branding. Um, it uh, had, you know, very poor atmosphere. The food was terrible. It, literally nothing was good about it, to be honest. It used to be a fantastic venue. So they bought it for two million bucks when it was, you know, doing big numbers. And then it, you know, it was an institution. But just, they didn't evolve it, change it, and it got dirty and staff were terrible. And so we just went in. I, I, nothing, didn't read about the wheel. You know, just really solid, really simple things done well. Like that was really a great coffee, you know, consistently, mm. um, you know, a, a approachable menu breakfast lunch made sure the vibe but the vibe was amazing you know great loud music funky staff staff um, making sure they present it well and um and and took pride in their you know in, the, in what they'd wore um you know just making sure that everyone it was a considered environment that's it's customer really, experience right exa- exactly you got to make sure this customer feels something the moment they walk in and we always say internally you want we want the customers to relive their youth so we always play, play music from yesteryear to make sure that to make them feel like they were mm. Make them f- remember, like feel a memory of that that song, and like there's all like, no doubt um, you guys would have a song that would be like, I oh, remember that at Year Twelve house party, and that's the best memories ever. We all want to be eighteen again, you know, or seventeen, whatever it is. So that's the sort of thing that I, we want to make a customer feel when they walk in the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, so this is, about, I guess, a bit more of a technical question that's been running on my mind just while we're sitting here is more around how you look at cash flow potentially. So do you treat every um, location as its own product and, and purely gauge cash flow on just that? that yeah, like we do. Gauge it individually? Or you, so you, yeah, yeah, we do. We, every, every entity, every venue, is, we, we, got, we um, track that venue's cash flow. So, yeah, we don't do the reporting as a whole, we do it every individual entity, every location, because um, you have to, because it's their own sort of staff, their own mm. rents, their own, you know, I mean, they've all got different, slightly different um, metrics um, or sl- slightly different overheads. Um, and, and thankfully, right now, Touchwood, every venue now in our portfolio is, um, is performing really well. Obviously, <laughs> lockdown obviously hurts a lot for some of the venues, but out of lockdown, they perform really well. Um, we made a decision to sell our Queensland store during um, about six months ago purely because uh, we, we couldn't get there and we were so disconnected from our team over there and it was a headache to run the business from afar mm-hmm. without having the connection. Um, it almost felt like it was a, a standalone one venue, which is hard to run. So mm-hmm. um, other than that, things are going yeah, things are going um, well and... Um, and uh, yeah, but we have to. Yeah, we de- definitely um, perf- uh, we definitely um, review all the numbers for each entity every week on its own. Yeah, awesome. And, and I guess you would have to, right? Because because you know it, it is its own entity. Yep, exactly. Uh, but you you would use obviously the accumulative cash flow across the board to obviously fund the next and the next and yes. The next. So we do definitely. Um, so our working capital across every bank because ca- obviously there's bank accounts for every single entity, and. Um, yeah, certainly we might borrow money from an from an entity to help cash flow the next store or something mm. and repay that back. Yeah, so we do. We definitely it's all um, under sort of one. Yeah, our CFO manages all those accounts and um, and he does a great job. To be honest, I couldn't do that. Like I do my head in, and I don't know. How, and it's obviously record keeping is so important when you 
when you're moving money around from entity to entity, you know, there needs to be full audits done to make sure that everything balances. So, and that's where you, you go offshore, right? Yeah. So, the, well, the, the data guys in, in, the, in um, our data guys in the Philippines, they, they're CPA accountants, they're Australian tax law um, trained and all that. So, they, We've got two as well. So yeah. they do a lot of our data tracking. It's so important. Like obviously it's very tedious work. So you know, the optics of like having offshore staff can be bad because they're like, oh, why don't you support the Australian work and economy? But you know, Qantas, Foxtel, Apple, they all do it. So everyone does it. And the reason why like I spoke to people about this and the way we word it is that it creates better opportunities for Australian staff. Like, cause the stuff that they're doing, um, they do an amazing job. But the stuff they're doing is, is not the greatest, and they're they're involved. They're working economy over there. Um, this is a great opportunity for, for them. them. It, it really is, it, and that's what I is. think that can be a misconception. Is it like, is. yeah, you know, like, they've got a bad, they're, they're, they're still third world. Like that, that, that's that, that their economy is not. It's not Australia. Mm. So they they love the opportunity. Whereas our staff, we've got different people are more entitled in, especially Australia. right now, yeah. especially right now during COVID as well. Like yeah. you know, the, these opportunities for people overseas is. No one wants to work at the moment because they're all sitting at home getting the seven fifty dollars. You know, yeah. it's hard to find staff at the moment because yeah. it's it's you're making more money staying at home. Seven fifty yeah. tax free dollars. Um, they're making more money. So many part time staff are making more money than they ever had, and they're sitting at home. So I think that's a massive flaw that the uh, the federal government needs to sort out quick, smart because we need to get our staff back working. So yeah, hopefully not long. Hopefully not long. Yeah. Um, and 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 obviously along the way you guys made a a decision to go vertical right so yep. and that's where Inglewood Inglewood's come in can you run us through I guess the psychology around that decision yeah so um Corey Slater was um had a small share in one of our old stores Penta and um he was like I want to start roasting and I was like oh I can't really be bothered and can't bother I don't know if I, I didn't know if I want to do it I love love coffee and very passionate about it but I didn't know if I wanted to start that mm. and I'm so glad he came forward and and, and said let's do it because it's been it's our number one performing performing entity. It um it was it's been a hundred percent year on year the last two last three years since it started. And during COVID, it was um unbelievable for us because no one stopped drinking coffee. Online went nuts. Um, you know uh, we tripled tripled our online revenue um in COVID, and um you know what we do, what we do what we did in a year we're we're now we're now doing in our sales we're doing in two days. So stuff like that's been um, huge for us. So I'm so glad we're roasting. But the idea behind it was really to, to um, that was our biggest invoice every week was coffee. So mm. we, um, we basically, it's, it was the obvious vertical integration. There's great margins in coffee. Um, and, uh, and then obviously because of our network, we knew that we'd be able to start supplying. So we supply now 120 odd stores. It'd be, have to be one of the fastest growing roasteries in Australia. Um, so really proud of what Inglewood and our team has achieved. Um, we've got an amazing team, very passionate staff. Um, all the way to Willie Tao, our, our Q grader, who, who does all our quality control. Mm. He's been absolutely amazing. Um, all of our packers, like the, the packing staff have a tough job and um, the delivery drivers, it's not, you know, it's, it's hard work. And um, we've got an amazing team. They're so proud of our Inglewood crew, but it was the most obvious progression, but mm. it wasn't so, like, it wasn't so obvious for me at the time. And I'm so glad we did it. I'm, I know we didn't do it earlier, but um, I'm, I'm really, really grateful that, that um, we're roasting and um, it, you know, we're doing it now because it's, it's been... It looks amazing. It looks like an amazing operation, I must say. It's cool. It's really fun. It's a really great place. And we just recently moved our, our headquarters from Coburg North to, to Mount Waverley, which is awesome. Much bigger site. Um, and our, all, our whole headquarters now, only hospitality group and, and Inglewood are under one roof, which is really efficient. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it, it seems like the natural progression, right? Like going vertical, all the all the top companies in the world do it. You know, do it, yeah. They, and because and, uh, it... it it not only is another revenue stream, but it, it's a, a great way to decrease costs and improve margins. 100%, yeah. I mean, obviously, it comes with more headaches, but it, it definitely makes your, your cost base much lower if you're buying the, the, the coffee in green. And, um, you know, roasting is hard work and it's tough, and, and to get a good result, you need to have the mati- meticulous operators. But, um, yeah, it's been a fantastic move for the business. Yep. Is there a story behind the name? Inglewood, yeah, there is. So we, do, I, we I love LA, and um, I love the character of all the little suburbs of LA, and it's all sort of Inglewood's an underdog suburb in mm. in LA, and I felt like we were a bit of, we were a bit of an underdog, underdog. So we were pretty late to not late to market, but I mean there was a lot of roasters in around when we were when we were coming through. So um, we just love the vibe of it. We love the vibe of Inglewood, and um, and uh, I just felt like I don't know, just felt like it resonated in a weird way. I'm not saying that we're ghetto and gangster, but like <laughs> you know, that's not us. But that's so they've got you know, there's obviously a bit, a bit of crime in the Inglewood in LA. But um, I don't know. It, it, you know, Corey, my partner in Inglewood, he's um he's he's um got an American background and um 
Yeah, there's very look. I could, you can you go down to little pockets, but yeah, that's sort of the fundamental of it. We just like the vibe of it, and um, we just felt like it branded well. And there was a, and, and the the way that the brand evolved around it was really was really cool. And our you know we've got the, the front of our um, single origins different photos of LA, and yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's worked out well. Yeah. Last question, and then we're going to dive into to quick fire, which is just short, sharp answers. Yeah, cool. Kind <laughs> of of certain questions. But um, is there any chance of of Inglewood going international or? Oh, definitely, absolutely. Um, we are trying to take um, our business as far as we can go, and you know, there's obviously um, there's so much out of your control as soon as you dispatch coffee um, mm. using third party um, logistics. But um, we're definitely going to work towards it. That's for sure. Um, and people, we, we're not the first people to, to do it. There's so many coffee brands international. Um, but yeah, definitely, we definitely want to. We're we we we've got big plans and big dreams and goals and. Um, yeah, very keen to see where where we where it takes us. I'm excited to to watch it ha- unveil as well. Yeah, should be good. All right, so the next segment of and this is something we do at the end of every podcast is quick fire. So yeah, cool. it's it's just questions that we think are going to offer you know short sharp answers that are going to well not short sharp you know one to two minute and and we can build conversation around it but they're they're answers that are really going to offer a lot of value to the listener. Okay, um, if it. if I can get through it with this tacker getting at me. <laughs> um, so question one is, what's the most important factor to scaling a business and why? Um, definitely having people um, in position to manage different things. So fi- a person in finance, making sure that they're, they're across everything, giving you great advice and, um, and you know, counsel on those matters. Um, obviously, yeah, so people in, in the areas that matter, human resource, accounting um, and project management, I think are really important. And obviously... Um, making sure you've got a, a business that is profitable, or, or if it's not profitable, what is the, making sure you've got the exit strategy, or the what's the what's the big picture, um, you know, and having great reporting metrics and reporting formulas. That's really important. It's you can't you can't scale without that. Awesome. What advice would you give to someone about to start a business? Um, obviously, you know, everyone says work hard, but it's true. Like, if you're starting a business because you think the lifestyle is going to be good, it's just the wrong. You, you, your head is completely. You, it's not the right motivation. Like, it can't be. Of course, I'm a lifestyle-driven person, but that wasn't why I started business. I bought. I started business because I wanted. I was passionate about what I was selling, which is coffee and breakfast, lunch. Really passionate about people and hospitality. I love welcoming people and creating great environments. So you have to make sure that the the mo- the motives are right. And if um if it's not. And if you and you and you've got to really go deep. It can't just be oh, I'm going to kick back and make millions. It's going to be easy. It's just not. It's not how it works. And, and <laughs> if like, only, right? Uh, exactly. Like so, it, it's so as I said before. Like I cleaned the toilets for two years um, every day, or maybe not two years, but like a year at least. You know, because I couldn't afford to have staff um, help me close. Like that's you know two hours of closing time to clean. I couldn't afford that. Um, so ask yourself. Will you do that? Will you clean your toilets if you open a cafe every day and be there open to close every day until you know it's profitable enough to have someone do your role? And if it's if you're not willing to do that, then don't do it. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great point. I think it's ebbs and flows, right? There's going to be times where you, you do have the lifestyle and then the next week it can literally all be taken away from it you can. from things going wrong. Yeah, and oh. some people get lucky. Some people start a business and it's like bang, and it's like, and good luck to them. That's amazing. But um, if you're planning for that to happen, oh, <laughs> you're probably yeah. uh, we go awesome. It's, yeah. it's just not the good real luck. world. It happens, no doubt. Like people have that, those those stroke of luck, and and maybe that's because they have got an amazing business model, which is awesome. But um, yeah, I just think that you've got to be willing to really get stuck grind. in. Yeah, grind. You got to you got to get yeah. You got to grind, and you got to be there until. The moment happens when you can, you know, handle. I often think business is a game of like who can withstand the pain the longest Definitely. at times, right? Like it's and it's not to say all of it is it's grind and pain, but it's like the reality is is like a lot of your your a lot of what you do is just putting out fires continuously, oh, that's right? Right. and it's like yeah. you know how how resilient are you? You know, like, yeah. and I think like that's why you know most businesses don't make it past the five year mark, yeah. right? And and it, I think that's a it's Re- a good resilience point. is the number that, that's the word. Are you, yeah. are you re- resilient enough to to get through all those hard days? Um, and people counting on you. And um, again, I, I saw in a podcast recently, you know, they said, are you a control freak? You know, to the person, 
and um, it was Les Serato against Victoria, and just really resonated with me. I'm not a control for it, but like you know, are you, like do you switch off kind of thing? And it's like I don't switch off, and my wife Chrissy Lee, um, she's a very extremely hardworking, but she knows how to switch off, and I can't. Mm. But like I, as Les Serato said, I wear it as a, you know, we wear it as a badge of honor, like. Because when, when shit hits the fan, I'm the first person that gets called. You know, mm. what do we do with this? And so, and then people go, oh, just switch off. Like, just, it's too late. Like, stop it. But then if something happens late at night, I'm the one who gets called. So it's like, you know, you can't have it both ways. If you want me to be the person who's always, if you want me to be the person that's always there, then let me be on all mm. the time. And if I want to be on all the time, that's my decision. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know how I got talking at this, but I think it's important to have that, that resilience and also understand that people have different quirks and my one of my quirks is I've has, I struggle to switch off so you know oh you're not the only one <laughs> yeah yeah that's it you get, it's, but it's also lifestyle as well like I enjoy that life I enjoy it like it's fun for me too like I really enjoy you know we used to enjoy um you know winning games of football now like winning uh, yeah you're like winning on some deals and winning on on great outcomes in the business so um, that's my sport now and that's my lifestyle, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, I just I need to switch off, and sometimes I get real bad anxiety, and um, and uh, and bad, and have you know really bad um stresses. Um, so I do need to balance it a bit, but um, but I know you know I I mean I I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah, so. and I think that's the key, right? It's like it. I mean, um, if you love it, let it kill you, kind of thing. It's yeah. kind of like I I really think of it like that. Is like yeah, definitely. If I'm enjoying myself, that's really what what matters. Exactly. Okay, so so you're you're someone who has obviously achieved a lot, right? Yep. Um, but I know oh, that obviously I should, you I shouldn't say yep. Sorry, I didn't mean. I was just <laughs> I was just reading the question trying to. Um, no, like, but no, I, I mean, haven't achieved. I haven't achieved anywhere near what I want to achieve. So that's the but, that's yeah. the point, right? Yeah, like you're yeah. someone who's achieved a lot, and yeah. and to people who listen to this podcast, you are someone who has. But yeah. I, I guess I want to know what what's your largest motivator to continue. Um, love giving up. Love, love seeing staff. Um, uh, grow, develop, seeing their income, you know, um, progress, you know, uh, th- that's amazing. I love that. And that's really, um, you know, uh, I'm a bit of a Justin Bieber fan. So, um, and, and I watched his, uh, I'm proud of it too. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm OG <laughs> He's Bieber. a believer. I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an OG believer. <laughs> I'm an OG believer. And I've been to two of his concerts, you know, I've been a big fan of him. I, li- I like his music and I just think he's an awesome entertainer. Yeah. Um, but he said, I watched his um, Our World um, documentary and, um, and he said uh, being an entertainer can be very self-serving um, you know all these people screaming for him mm. and you know he's a good looking guy he's got awesome swag and mm. you know he, he, he would have had girls falling off him and people latching onto him and, and he admits that he went through a bad stage and all that but um, he said it's very self-serving you know seeing people scream for you and he goes sometimes you just need to go back to the why you know why, why is he doing it and he, and he does it because he he loves he loves singing and he loves entertaining and he loves dancing obviously and mm. and with his crew like and you see in his and his um and you see in his um in his doc doco um that he's he's just really in love with everyone he works with mm. and that's how I feel about where I work I really feel like I love everyone who I work with um and I'm I'm grateful I get to choose who I work with in a way you know but I'm so grateful for the people who are around me and one of my biggest motivators um to continue to grow is to, is because I want to see everyone succeed and develop these um better lifestyles and we want to work like others won't to live like others can't mm. and that's um that's what sort of um our motivator is and, and keep developing amazing spaces amazing venues um and also invest in cool stuff and different things and stuff that challenges us and learn and, and learn and of course money's a hopefully and money is a byproduct of that success you know but um i don't think about the money as my motivator i think about the being i think i feel like about, it's about winning kind of thing you know and getting that um that that buzz after something goes well that's probably the the, the motivator it's very easy it's like you know what you said around staff and people and and and, and enjoyment it's very easy to get caught up in yeah. uh, when you're growing in in the money in the numbers in yeah. that you know, and kind of focus on that and and a lot of the time that's obviously when you lose that enjoyment factor of it you start to you know you start to behave in different ways and you you kind yeah. of lose yourself a little bit which yeah, of course. I can definitely talk to but i think yeah you're definitely right when you just bring it back to the fundamentals of why you're doing why it. are we doing this what yeah. do we want to see what are we what kind of you know what kind of um, experiences are we trying to create and so yeah. on it it makes it kind of simplifies things in a way definitely definitely cool so your description of a great leader um 
someone who is there in the trenches um, with you um, and, and someone who's a good delegator, someone who empowers others, um, a spirit lifter, um, you know, someone who doesn't try to take credit for everything. And sometimes you want to take, like sometimes you come up with an idea and you feel like, oh, you, you want to take uh, credit for it, but it's nearly more important that you go, well done. And even like that person might've taken over it from the initial idea, but making sure that you lift someone else up and give them the credit they deserve. And um, being approachable is obviously really important. Building, you know, building rapport. Someone who cares about relationships is a good leader. Like I feel like people who just come in and just like, you know, have blinkers on and sometimes I'm guilty we are guilty of that you know but that's because people people get have are stressed and um and have things going on in their mind but I think just a balanced person and ultimately a good person you know a good person um and a good leader needs to be able to make decisions the hard decisions ones that aren't always you know the flavor of the, you know aren't always liked but sometimes um if you're a leader if you know that you're making the decision for the greater good um then you've just got to sort of be comfortable with that but um yeah I think that's sort of, they're sort of some of the um, characteristics of a good leader, and something that I try, obviously uh, obviously some of the characteristics that I try to sort of um, you know live live by every day. Yeah, I mean we've we've had a few really great leaders on the show, and um, it seems to be a, a common a common um, yeah. point. Um, but I, I, I mean it I seems obvious, doesn't it? You know, but it's, it's a lot harder in practice. It's hard, a lot harder yeah, in practice. It's exactly. so it's so much harder in practice. Like yeah. I think that's. That's your, your, That's kind of the one thing you're working at as a leader, you know, because the technician in you, yeah. right? The, you know, you would have had this when you very first started, right? It's kind of like the technician in you says perfection. The technician yeah. in you says, you know, it should be done this way. But I think, you know, yeah. like the, the things you just mentioned is is the journey of of take of going the other way. Yeah, it's counterintuitive, I suppose. Um, to you know, if you start, as you said, when you're starting a business, you want to make sure everything's perfect. But then it's it comes to a point where you have to go, okay, ninety percent rule kind of thing. Mm. Um, you don't have a ninety percent rule to, to to grow. You can't accept. Everyone can't. Be, no one can be perfect. Yeah. So. Amazing. Not much needs to be added to that. Very good. Um, how do we go? How do we go? Thank we, you for having me. We nailed it. We yeah, nailed thank it. you. No, I appreciate um, it. Thanks for your time. I just want to say a massive thank you to you for your time. Um, you obviously got a, a lot going on, so we're, we're really appreciative here to, to have you on and, and for you to be able to share your wisdom with our audience. Oh, my pleasure. It's been great. And um, I like talking and I love, you know, at the end of the day, we all need, um, it's good to have advice from all pe- from all people. And if I, if there's anything that I said that someone can take with them um, in some of the decisions they're about to make or in their in their business life, then, you know, I'll, um, that, you know I, we, we uh, will think that that's a, uh, it's been a successful conversation, so... Thanks for for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, John, for for putting it together. Thanks Thanks to all the listeners as well. Um, You know, uh, again, we're getting so much support at the moment and I'm just super appreciative of of it. Um, So thank you to to everyone for tuning in um, and...